0: You're listening to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Breathe Like a Badass podcast. This week, I'm speaking to Meredith Whiteley, a meditation teacher and a mindful chocolate eating guide. Hello, you are listening to Breathe Like a Badass, the podcast for ambitious, creative women who know that anxious, overwhelmed and full of self-doubt is absolutely no way to live. I'm Hannah and I teach personalised and down-to-earth meditation as a tool to help you overcome anxiety and overwhelm, stop overthinking in its tracks and finally get you the calm, clarity and confidence you need to live your most fulfilled one wild life. This podcast is intended to be your trusty companion as you head outside of your comfort zone. And every week, I speak to badass women and men who are out there taking bold, creative, and concrete steps towards their goals and dreams and living the mindful, contented, and fulfilled life that we really do all truly deserve. This week's podcast is brought to you by my free quiz, which asks the question, what is really keeping you stuck and how can you break free? It is totally free, and in return, you will get a personalized profile sent directly to your inbox, plus a free three-day video course on exactly what you need to break through to a life that feels truly good. Head over to breathelikeabadass.com forward slash quiz to take it now. And also, if you're listening to this episode on your phone, I would absolutely love to know and I'd love to say hi and thank you in person. So please do take a screenshot of the episode and post it on Instagram tagging me at breathe like a badass send me a dm or you can always send me an email as well at hannah at breathe like a dot com. you would also make my absolute day slash week slash year if you went to wherever you're listening to this podcast now and leave a review especially on apple podcasts because those reviews show up well and they help spread the word to everyone else who could use a little bit of support on their journey because no one deserves to live life anxious, overwhelmed and feeling not good enough. Believe me, I've been there and I truly do know. That is where this podcast and my brilliant guests come in. Thanks so much for listening and let's get on with this week's show. This week I have the huge honour of speaking to Meredith Whiteley, a mindful eating guide and meditation teacher who uses chocolate as her main teaching tool. I know, literally dream job. Meredith helps people eat and live in a more mindful way through her meditation sessions and her homemade chocolate products. She weaves chocolate, especially hot chocolate, throughout her work to bring mindfulness to life in a truly delicious way. Also, as a long-term sufferer of stress-related irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, Meredith also focuses on sharing simple tools for managing physical and mental stress more effectively chocolate and mindfulness are literally two of my all-time favorite things so i was super excited to speak to meredith but as usual with so many of these podcast episodes we went a heck of a lot deeper than that we also covered how meredith uses chocolate to demonstrate the benefits of meditation and mindfulness especially for people who may have struggled with more traditional methods of the technique We also talked about how taste is just one of the senses that you can use to create your own toolbox of mental health aids. We also dug deep into the power of the mind-body connection and how to slow down before you get sick or burnt out. We also talked about how chocolate can help us overcome emotional eating, gives us permission to really enjoy our food and helps us dismantle our damaging obsession with good and bad eating. We talked about the benefits of monotasking and working with our hands whether it's making chocolate or baking or something else entirely. We also talked about why meditation isn't a magic pill for happiness but why it's worth doing anyway We also talked about how understanding really great chocolate and where it comes from can make us more compassionate to ourselves and to others all around the world. And we also talked about how to truly taste chocolate so that you can get the absolute most out of it, as much for your mental health as for its real true deliciousness. There's also a cheeky little appearance from Meredith's puppy in this episode and a bit of a quick discussion on the cathartic power of swearing. This was honestly such a joyful conversation. It was just full of love and food and chocolate and self-compassion. And also we talked about the simple pleasure of sitting down with a truly great hot chocolate. So if you love chocolate as much as I do, and it's kind of hard, but maybe there are people out there, or you know, even if you're more of a savory chips and dip kind of person, it's all good. I hope that you enjoy this episode just as much as I did to record it. And hey, maybe even grab a hot chocolate or two as you listen. As usual, all of the show notes for this episode can be found on my website at breathelikeabadass.com forward slash podcast. I'm also ridiculously excited to say that Meredith has given me a free copy of her mindful tasting card, which talks you through how to mindfully taste chocolate. So, In this episode, she recommends some fantastic chocolate brands to try. And once you've got this mindful tasting card in your hand, you'll be able to mindfully taste chocolate right from today. So if you want a copy of that super simple mindful tasting chocolate card, All you have to do is head to my website, breathelikeabadass.com forward slash chocolate, and then you'll be able to get your free copy and have an extremely chocolatey day wherever you are. So as I say, that's breathelikeabadass.com forward slash chocolate for your free mindful tasting card from Meredith Whiteley herself. Okay, Meredith, we're recording. Thanks so much for being here. Hello, how are you doing?
1: I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me
0: no worries at all I'm so excited about this I was saying to you earlier before we started recording it's like mindfulness and chocolate like literally pretty much two of my absolute most favorite things I can't I can't wait to ask you about it
1: oh, okay. I'm really excited to talk to you about it as well I'd agree also two
0: of my favorite things <laughs> so great I love it so for people that don't know or haven't heard of you before can you summarize your background how you
1: got to be doing what you're doing and, and what you are doing now Sure, no problem. So I run a business called Food at Heart and I blend mindfulness, meditation and chocolate, as you said. And part of my business is uh, I'm a trained meditation teacher and I run meditation and mindfulness sessions, um, just either my own or I do a lot of work in businesses. Weaving chocolate into meditations as a tool to help people really connect with their senses and slow down. And then the other half of my business is I make a range of products using Predominantly dark chocolate. Again, giving people little tools to take away and use at home just as a different way to come into mindfulness and connection. And I'm kind of very much of the opinion that even if you just choose to sit down and slowly eat some chocolate, that is a real benefit. So you can call it mindfulness or not, even if you're just enjoying the chocolate, that's a really great thing to do for yourself.
0: Absolutely. And why did you go down that route? Because I know I was reading on your website that you had a number of health problems before you came sort of down this path. What was it about food and chocolate that sort of allowed you to come to where you are now kind of as a way into this whole arena?
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, my background, funnily enough, it's not surprisingly is not meditation or chocolate. I am very typical of a lot of people that come into wellbeing. I spent over 17 years working for a lot of big businesses um, from everything from the music industry and market research through to working in government and a big e-commerce website. So I've done all sorts of things and I've always loved food and I've been a chocolate geek for a really, really long time. But I was one of those typical people that just had a really ineffective way of working which meant that I was pretty much always stressed and because it was just my norm, I figured it was me and that was just my way of working but my tell was a very physical one which would always happen when I would be on the edge of burnout and that was my digestion. So I'm one of 10 to 20% of the population that struggles with irritable bowel syndrome really really common and like a lot of people who struggle with ibs i very much have stress triggered issues so it was this really interesting overlap at a time that i'd been getting more and more involved in chocolate that i actually had my really worst flare-up which was about about five years ago now and it pretty much laid me low for a week. Like I couldn't even go into work. I was too scared to get in my car and drive. That's how ill I was with it. And you start thinking of all worst-case scenarios for things that could be wrong with you. And then as anyone, again, who's had digestive issues, it takes quite a lot of investigation to work all this stuff out. And the outcome of it was that, yes, I had IBS. And that was the thing that in the end said to me, look, I can't just dip in and out of my mental health in the way that I've been dipping in and out well, I guess more physically I've been looking after my physical health in a better way than I'd been looking after my mental health, basically. And I've tried a few things. I've done tai chi, and I dipped in and out of meditation, but. I really hadn't put in place a regular practice that would help me stay on top of things and just even be more aware of myself. And that was really my path into, I guess, what I would call a more regular practice of mostly mindfulness meditation, but it is a bit broader than that as well, what I practice for myself. And it was really... It's funny. It wasn't then a straightforward journey. When I left my my last job into setting up a business, I was originally building a website which was about helping people find food experiences because I was really passionate about people connecting with food and because I loved food so much. And actually, as someone who had IBS, I'd had in 12-18 months where eating was a real challenge for me, and I'd almost fallen out of love with food again. So it was part of my journey of trying to make some peace with food again. And I did that for a few months and then realized I actually really missed being around people and so I started running my own cooking events because I've always been a huge cook and I really wanted to teach people about food and flavor and little bits of digestion and little bits of mindful eating thrown in and I was using chocolate as one of the tools to bring that to life and then basically the sessions that were selling the most were the ones with chocolate which was great because that was also what I loved the most so it's probably not that a surprise because probably came across. that <laughs> I really loved chocolate a lot. I kept finding ways to like shoehorn it into what I was doing. And I'd also started doing some chocolate guiding on the side for a friend of mine who runs a tour company where you take people on chocolate walking tours around London, which is amazing. <laughs> and so there were all these different strands starting to come together. And I'd started selling some chocolates on the side to promote my cooking classes. But because i was doing these bits of mindful eating and short bits of meditation in there i thought i should actually probably train properly as a meditation teacher so that i was looking after people properly i didn't want to kind of be doing any damage to people or i guess it was also partly for myself i really wanted to understand more about the science and more about why this was working for me more than just the experience and when i did the teacher training i just really fell in love with writing meditations, leading meditations, sharing a lot of that experience with other people. And it really surprised me because that wasn't particularly why I decided to do the teaching course. I just sort of wanted to integrate it into stuff that I was doing. So I sort of shifted my whole business to focus much, much more on that. And it was really up to that point, I'd also been really hesitant about talking to people about my digestion. I'd felt quite embarrassed about it and it felt like it was a weakness. But the reality is that it was very much as a result of that, that I've ended up doing what I'm doing. So I don't see it as a weakness now. It definitely has been a challenge and it still is a challenge. You know, I'm not this healed person, but I'm much more comfortable now sharing that story and understanding how that's led me into what I'm doing now. So it kind of was this very roundabout, weavy kind of a path rather than straightforward But so it probably really took me two and a half years of working for myself to get to that point. And now I'm at the point that I'm really comfortable with that blend of running events and also making products. That's amazing. And there's
0: so many things that I want to unpack in what you said. I mean, the first thing that really struck me is you said that you weren't making a habit of looking after your mental health. And I think that's something that comes up so much in mindfulness and meditation. Like, especially people that talk to me, they say, oh, yeah, I do it a bit or, I got into it because I was having a really hard time and now that I feel a bit better I, I sort of let it go a bit and I'm always like okay well that's obviously cool that you got it when you were having a hard time and that it helped you but you know it's going to be so much more beneficial and you're going to get so much better results if you do it regularly even when you're having a great time like even when life's going wet really well that struck me what you said kind of making it
1: and and it really is and it's it's I totally agree with what you're saying and it's something that I hear all the time and it's something that I look back and I think if I'd put some of these tools in place earlier and the great thing is there's much more known about a lot of these tools now and there's certainly much more in the public space you know you don't have to be sort of weird or hippie or a zen buddhist monk to be doing this stuff I mean that's cool if you are as well I mean that's the path you want to follow but actually it's something that's very accessible and yeah, it's very easy when you're not feeling well or when you're feeling stressed to try and put these tools in place. But if you've got them there as an undercurrent, it just gives you something to dip into. And I think the biggest thing for me is that also because I have them there as a regular practice, I know much earlier when I'm starting to tip into the not very well phase. And that was something that i didn't identify before it was always way too late like i would be well down the path of on my way to really really being ill before i'd realize i was on that way so yeah this i think one of the big things for me has been i'm so much better at identifying when i just need to take a bit of rest i'm not always great at doing it you <laughs> know that. I have all these tools I mean all the stuff that I share with people it's all stuff I'm working on myself you know I'm not this fully formed awoke woke person that has achieved all of this stuff absolutely not every day I'm having to come back to them and I have great weeks and I have challenging weeks and I'm just really pleased that I now know I've got this little arsenal of things that I can dip into and it's always there for me and you know I'm also I don't kick myself or hit myself if I skip the odd day of meditating as well I think that was the other thing as well I'm definitely by nature someone who can have a bit of a perfectionist streak so it's like you know now that I've committed to meditating I have to meditate really really well and I have to be the best at meditating I have to meditate every day and that's clearly absolutely not the point of it so you know I've got rid of a lot of all of that sort of stuff as well
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Ugh, oh, just what you're saying just resonates so strongly with me. Like I, I tend to call what I teach and what I believe in an emotional toolbox because mm. I'm exactly the same. You know, it really, for me is like the reason why I came to all of this stuff is because I needed it at some point. And even now, like you say, it's a practice You know, even now I have days where, yeah, I'm in flow and I'm practicing what I preach and everything's amazing. Mm. And then also I have days or weeks where I'm like, I'm supposed to be good at this stuff. Like supposed to be (laughs) my thing. I'm supposed to be this chilled out Zen person. And like, I'm the opposite right now. And then that's when you have to kind of go back and reset and remember that it's not about being perfect. And it is a practice and it is a habit that we build. So true. So key. I also wanted to go back as well to what you said about listening to yourself and one of the main advantages that you've got with a regular habit is that you are able to check in with yourself and know when you're kind of approaching that sort of point of, I don't know what you would call it, burnout or a moment where you notice that your IBS is maybe flaring up again. I just want to say as well, small caveat, I suffer from exactly the same thing. I get stress-related IBS. Mm-hmm. Um, And I was somebody that when I was younger, I never used to get digestive issues. You know, I was always that annoying person that would go on holiday and everyone else would be ill with the water and whatever, and I would be fine. And so (laughs) I was always like, oh no, I don't have digestive issues. I've got a really great, strong stomach. And then when I got a bit older, I realized that I started getting stress-related
1: IBS Yeah.
0: So I just wanted to put that out there. I think it's so much more common than people think.
1: Oh, it really, really is. And, you know, I look back and actually I was struggling with it for years and I kind of suspected it for years as well. And in fairness, I had even gone and had it investigated, but it kind of kept being passed on because they couldn't really work out what the problem was. But it was definitely also the older I got the worse it got. And so I was in my late 30s when I had my really, really bad flare up So definitely that's a time where your body, there almost feels like a turning point. How
0: did suffering from IBS and stress lead you towards using chocolate as the way that you were going to teach people this kind of what I see as like a
1: totally life-changing skill basically I mean I would say that but (laughs) (laughs) well I hope it's life-changing it certainly has been for me and you know it was partly because there's something about IBS that doesn't get spoken about very much. And that's it's kind of connected to mindfulness, but not. But one of the things that's really important when you've got IBS is to eat more slowly. So there is a natural link of using food as a starting point anyway. And the reason why chocolate specifically is that chocolate is actually one of the most complex foods that you can taste when it comes to flavor. So it's even more complex than red wine. So some estimates say that there's over 400 different types of flavors that you could detect or flavor molecules. So that's one good reason. But then there's also the mouthfeel of it. Um, there's all the textual stuff that you can get from it. So as a food, it's a really delicious thing to eat, if you like chocolate, that is. But also, it's just a really pleasurable food as well. And I think especially when you're in the middle of a a really bad flare-up with IBS, you can just feel really crap. I mean, like, just really, really crap. So finding something that makes you feel a bit happier. And there's, again, lots of studies that have been done around the different stimulants in chocolate that can help with that. But also for me, it's purely just because I think it's such a delicious food. It's such an amazing ingredient. And also the way that you taste it properly, cause I judge on chocolate awards as well. It's very, very similar to a mindful eating meditation. It's a slightly different intention, but it's this very natural overlap. And while I think a lot of the mindful eating meditations, if people have ever done them, you quite often do it with a raisin, which is kind of cool and it's interesting, but after five minutes in your mouth, the raisin is really disgusting. Like it's interesting to explore the texture, But it's not like a really good piece of dark chocolate, which after five minutes, you should have gone through this really amazing flavor journey. And it's left all this loveliness in your mouth. So even after five minutes, it's a really pleasurable experience. And I definitely wanted to make mindfulness and make meditation something which is enjoyable. You know, I'm not necessarily trying to teach the meditating for 90 minutes and breathe into pain type approach to meditation. That's great again if people are doing that but i think it's just it makes it really accessible and it makes it really delicious so i think that's two really good reasons
0: absolutely i actually it's so funny i i've run some small workshops as well and the way that i have i mean not as much on chocolate as yours just more kind of straight mindfulness for stress type workshops and i always start them with giving people a piece of chocolate And introducing the concept of eating mindfully using the chocolate and again it's like you say it's just the classic example of the raisin exercise yeah which if people don't know is is a really classic mindfulness introductory exercise where people are given a raisin and they have to look at it and they have to notice things about it that they wouldn't normally notice and they have to look at the texture and the smell and the feel of it and yeah raisins interesting and everything but like you say I much prefer to do that exercise with chocolate, not only because it does actually introduce quite a comedic um, element when the chocolate starts melting in people's hands when <laughs> and they, they have to quickly put it in their mouth and try and be mindful at the same time as it's melting everywhere, which I find quite funny. As well. um,
1: <laughs> yeah, it is quite funny. And I mean, actually, weirdly, I know I always say this, I think I'm a bit of a chocolate voyeur. I really love watching people taste really good chocolate, especially because I use really, really amazing single origin dark chocolate that is full of flavor. And I mean, it's really good quality chocolate. So it's not just about having some dairy milk, which of course you can do it with that too. But actually what I'll tend to do is give people a few different types of single origin. And so that the flavors are so amazing and it almost doesn't matter whether you like them or not, because you can still go that, that really, really fantastic experience. And especially because I guess sort of coming back to mindfulness specifically, mindfulness is so much about that sense of self connection i mean yes it's also the connection with the wider world but a big part of it is that connection with your body and the senses and when we taste it's one of the few times we use all of our senses so it is actually a really beautiful way to get ground with some of the basics of mindfulness and yeah get some really nice chocolate too absolutely i could not agree more i love it i mean actually maybe the truth was i was also trying to build a business where i got paid to eat chocolate every day so <laughs> I've done that too <laughs> I think that's a
0: very good reason I can't think of any other a better reason myself to be quite honest um I did want to go back to I I do want to go back to talking to you about how your workshops actually work Mm -hmm. and how uh, obviously I don't want you to tell everyone how your workshops work because they need to go to the workshop to find out, but (laughs) it would be much. (laughs) Yeah. But it would be great if you would summarize, you know, the principles of mindfulness that you're able to teach through the use of chocolate. But I just want to put a pin in that for now and just go back to what you were saying about the mind body connection, because Mm. the mind body connection for me is something that was one of the biggest revelations for me when I first started getting interested in mindfulness.
1: Yeah, and,
0: yeah, and the idea that the body was connected to the mind, and that that wasn't a weird woo-woo thing, and that was actually true. And I think it's very obvious with something like IBS. But I always describe it to people as, you know, if you get nervous, you maybe talk about getting butterflies in your stomach, or if you get embarrassed, you would blush. So it's not really that strange. But often, actually, we forget how much the mind is connected to the body and of- obviously it goes much yeah. further than that as well i would love to chat to you more about that because obviously with ibs it's a huge thing
1: yeah it really is and you know i think it was one of the things for me in getting to a process of i wouldn't say healed because i'm not healed it's it's a long-term condition that i will probably always have um to greater or lesser extent so even just to be aware of and you know as i said in some ways it's not only been a great inspiration for my business, I kind of can see the benefits of it because I have this early warning system now that other people don't always get. And it's very obvious when you've got something like IBS um, or just like even generally a slightly sensitive digestion, if you get nervous. And as you say, you get butterflies in your tummy or you get an upset stomach, but you know, you can find it happens in so many other ways. You know, physical pain, tingling and I, th- and I think you're right. You know, I, I don't necessarily come at things from a woo-woo perspective, even though I'm totally cool with that. And chocolate and cacao is a really interesting one because that does get used in a lot of very shamanic and very out there kind of things, which I can understand why, because it's this really powerful ingredient. But you don't have to go down that route if it doesn't work for you. There's some really simple physical mind and body connections that you do just become very aware of. And I think it's really important to be connected with them. And the reason I guess I spoke particularly about not healing myself is that I think that's almost our instinct when we try and do these things, you know, we start with mindfulness to heal either our stress or heal our body And sometimes it's just being aware that that's happening. It is being aware of that pain, it is being aware of this discomfort and saying, actually, it's kind of okay. And my body should be feeling some of this discomfort because I'm really stressed or I'm working too hard or I've had something really horrible happen in my life. That's what the pain tells us. So we actually shouldn't always be trying to heal these things, but understanding that things that go in our mind do affect our body and the things that go in our body affect our mind. Because I think that's the other way as well, is that we don't always... Um, Or we're not always aware of, and certainly people are not always aware of that it goes the other way. So sometimes my body is feeling tense because my mind is tense. And sometimes my mind is feeling tense because my body's feeling really tense. So even actually relaxing my body can help relax my mind. So it's not even that sort of single way of thinking, you know, mind to body. It's very interconnected. And I think it's so exciting that in the last 10, 15 years, there's been so much development in terms of neuroscience in particular, but a greater understanding of how our bodies and minds work and knowing that, you know, we probably know a tiny, tiny percentage. There's so much more that we have to discover. And, you know, every week there's new studies that are coming out. And I think that's just really, really exciting. And I think it's also going beyond even just the way within our bodies that we're connected, but also how we're connected with other people and with nature. And so it's this much wider web of connections that's going on. And I think when you start on mindfulness, even if you start with the purpose of trying to either manage stress or to heal a physical ailment, it quite quickly opens your mind to lots of other things that are going on around you, which I think is really beautiful. And I think almost doesn't get spoken about so much because it's much more difficult to measure that kind of stuff. You can't do that in a scientific study. And because also the experience is very individual the experience for me is not going to necessarily be the experience for you. But I can also say that, you know, unless you really hate chocolate, sitting with me for 10 minutes and really slowly tasting chocolate is probably going to make you feel quite nice and relaxed, if nothing else. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's so important.
0: Oh, I love that. I mean, everything that you say is just making me want to ask like 10 more extra questions. Like, <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, no, it's <laughs> brilliant. I love it. I just think it's so, so interesting. Um, yeah, I think that's really really insightful what you said about how quite often we do come to meditation because we want to cure something. Mm. Or like I said earlier, we come to it at a time of intense stress in our life where we just like, oh my God, I have I, I need to try this because nothing else has worked. You know, I've tried all my usual strategies for dealing with stress. You know, I'm comfort eating, I'm maybe over exercising or I'm sleeping too much or not sleeping enough or whatever it may be, all the different ways that we deal with stress. And we we come to these sorts of things as a, almost like a last resort, like, oh my God, I've heard people talking about mindfulness meditation or whatever. So, you know, I, I've got nothing to lose. I might as well just try it. It's going to help me. It's going to be my cure. And like you say, I think it's once we actually em- embark on that journey, we realize that actually so much of it is actually about acceptance of where we are rather yeah. than forcing ourselves to be different or pushing ourselves down this road of sort of magical healing or whatever it might be. Yeah, and
1: it's really hard and it's really hard to accept that and I think especially because you know even with the health system particularly in the UK it's it's very focused on you know dealing with sickness, identifying an issue and treating it rather than a very holistic approach to general well-being. And so it's quite an anathema to actually let go of that and not be thinking in that way. It's it's really really challenging and But also, you know, you don't, you don't just start doing this practice, even if you say doing five minutes a day for a week, you know, you're not going to suddenly turn into a whole new being. It was probably three to six months in that I looked back and I could see the small changes. It wasn't, it didn't turn me into a whole new person. It certainly didn't make me into a meditation evangelist. And actually, you know, for some people, certainly mindfulness is not the right route for them. And they might find other things, whether it's another form of meditation um, but also it's not the only thing that I do, but it's also helped, it, I guess what it's, it has done is it helped open my mind to trying a few other things that I've now got a little set of practices that work for me that you know, involve walking every day. Now I have my little dog, we were talking about him before, it's an extra incentive, but I walk and I do a little bit of writing every day and all of those three things help me be... I guess, away from screens for one thing, but also just to have that little bit of self-connection time. So I very much also see it as a piece in a wider puzzle that also in the very beginning stages of my IBS, I needed medical intervention as well. You know, I did need to take drugs. I had to take antidepressants for my stomach for six months as well. And that was a really important part of me getting to a place where I could get to a maintenance level. So I think that's the other thing is that I would never say to people, you know, do this instead of if you've been recommended something by medical professionals, do that too. It doesn't have to be an either or and then it's finding out what works for you because even mindfulness is not a single thing and you can come at it as a spiritual practice if you want to go down the Buddhist route or you can come at it as a non-spiritual practice through modern mindfulness. And then even within mindfulness, as you know, you know it's not, there's all these different practices. So if you're a real visual person, then great, focus on visualizations and those kind of meditations. If you're more about your body, do things like body scans and breathing. So, you know, I think, it can be very easy to think it's one thing for one thing, but also to give up after you've tried. I've heard so many people say, oh, I've tried mindfulness and I just didn't get on. And it's like, well, what, what do you mean by mindfulness and what did you try? And also sometimes you don't get on with something the first time around. It's like when you go to the gym or you try a new form of exercise. You know, sometimes it just takes a little while to connect. So it's this, it's this very broad term. And I think it's so exciting that there's more coverage of it. But I think sometimes there's a bit of confusion around what it is as well, because it isn't one thing. So, yeah, it's, it's not straightforward. I could not agree more. Absolutely.
0: Like you take the words straight out of my mouth. I I love it. I think it's fantastic. It's like, we've agreed what we're going to say beforehand, but we actually have, we actually actually (laughs) haven't. I promise we didn't. No, we actually didn't. It's like, it's, it's just so great to hear. Not just because, you know, I want somebody just agreeing with me, but (laughs) but also because it's just so nice to realize that there's so many different routes to kind of discovering not i was going to say truth but it's not it's like this could be an option for you if it helps you in your life and like you say there's so many different kinds of mindfulness there's so many different types of meditation but i do want to go back to what you said about well firstly i want to go back to what you said about how it's just one piece of the puzzle because i think that's so important to stress like i said earlier looking at mindfulness as just one tool in kind of your emotional toolbox. so Mindfulness, as you say, is not one single thing. It's so many different techniques, visualization, body scanning, et cetera. And also, like you said, there's there's writing, there's journaling, there's going out for a walk every day, there's eating more healthily, being aware of your body, being kind to yourself, accepting yourself. I mean, I could go on. There's just so much that that yeah. that comes together to make a person to help somebody come back from that brink of burnout of stress you know you're not just going to do five minutes of mindfulness every day and think that you're somehow like you say going to change into a completely new person it's all part of kind of a process a lifestyle I find that
1: too yeah absolutely and because you know even if you're doing the same practice or a similar practice for four years you've got to go through these ups and downs with it, with different things that are happening in your life. And I mean, I always say to people um, in my sessions, like in March, I had a really, really busy month. I had a whole load of events on and I would do my morning meditation because I meditate first thing because that's the time that I find I'm least likely to get distracted and do something else first. So I just do it first thing. My mind was all over the place and I would do anything from 10 minutes to 30 minutes. And I would just be like, oh, there goes my mind again. There goes my mind again. But the difference now is, I guess, versus four or five years ago. I know that and I don't get critical with myself because I think one of the really big things for me, and it's, it's, I'm, yeah, I'm so pleased that you have brought up that whole thing again about it being a piece of the puzzle, is that when you're starting to do something like mindfulness or any other form of meditation, you go through this process of self-realization and while yes you can kind of deal with that a little bit through mindfulness practices there are other ways that you kind of need to work that through your system as well and you know for some people that might be where they go and get counseling and you know, for example I was actually really really lucky um When I was diagnosed with my IBS, I was given access to some cognitive behavioral therapy. So I was really fortunate that I was doing a little bit of that at the same time. So while I was doing the practice, some of the stuff that was coming up, I was able to find some tools, and even just some habits of working with that, like the lady I was working with who was amazing, just gave me some little sheets to fill out, but you can go, you can Google those. I mean, like you don't need to go and see a person. I was just really lucky that it was covered by my work insurance at the time. <laughs> it would be a very different situation now. But it was also saying, oh, look, I'm recognizing these things are coming up. I need to put that in another place than in my mindfulness practice. And yeah, you know... It, there's there's always more that you can discover and uncover and yeah I feel really comfortable about that now and I'm really pleased that I feel comfortable with the uncertainty of it I think even when I started I was like oh you know in twelve months time I'll just be so much more together and I kind of I kind of am in some ways and I'm kind of not at all in others because you know I'm running a business I work for myself and why I thought that would be less stressful than a full time job with a consistent pay packet. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I love what I'm doing now. I really do. And I love the flexibility and I love working with something amazing like chocolate. But, you know, the fact that I was foolish enough to think would be less stressful working this way. Yeah, I don't know why I thought that. Could not agree more.
0: I love it. It's hilarious. Absolutely. I, there's, I've, as I keep saying, there's so much I'd like to unpack in what you're saying, but I do want to focus on chocolate for at least the next few minutes because that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to chat to you. I love your website. You've got a range of chocolates called Slow Chocolates, or, I think, or yes, Slow Tasting. Yes, Remind, yeah, yes, correct yes. me if I'm wrong. Let's talk about how you use chocolate, more specifically, to introduce people to this idea of slow eating, mindful eating. I'd love to just know, like, the highlights of the sort of techniques that you use.
1: Yeah, and it's it's funny because I've had a couple of people that have come along to the sessions, um, especially because so when I do my um, main meditations that I do for people in the public, and I do quite a lot of these in businesses as well. I have two options. One is using little chocolate taster buttons that I make, or I do a hot chocolate meditation. And both of them have got a very similar approach. And I always start with a little bit of an introductory meditation, first of all, just to get people settled. And I also explain a little bit about sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, because essentially what I'm trying to do is give people tools to get them away from being in fight or flight, too much more into the rest and digest state because there's nothing wrong with a bit of acute stress. You know, It can actually be really good for us. It can push us to do things. It can save us from danger. But for so many of us, like I was before, we're in this constant state of raised level of cortisol and in this raised level of acute stress state. So I was going to talk to people a little bit about that. But really, when it then comes to, I guess, the main meditation in the sessions that I'm doing is that I essentially do a very slow guided meditation where I get people to start by using their eyes to look at the chocolate. And it sounds so simple. But you know how often do we just rush into eating the first mouthful of food? It's in there before you've even had time to breathe. And you just forget this really simple thing of using your eyes and our eyes are a really huge in part of our taste. And there's an amazing study that was done with, um, wine students in France they were training to be sommeliers and wine professionals and they gave them three wines and basically one of the wines was a was a white wine with flavorless red food coloring in it and 75% of the students gave it red wine tasting notes and I always tell people about that because that's how important our sight is but it's also why when you meditate you close your eyes or you kind of focus them down because it's a really stimulating thing for your brain to have your eyes open and going so we start with a little bit of the sight, but then I basically move through the sense of touch so yeah that's why I do tend to give people napkins or plates because you're right <laughs> especially because they'll I'll, what I'll normally do if I'm giving the chocolate it'll be two pieces of different single origin dark chocolate and if you're holding that in your hand especially when we're having beautiful weather like we have today it does melt um, which is also a good sign of good chocolate because it doesn't mean it doesn't have any weird fats and stuff in it so chocolate should melt when you touch it if it doesn't yeah maybe don't eat too much of it but, yeah. so we'll, we'll go through the the touching of it and really connecting with I guess something you're about to put in your body so again we people can be a bit squeamish about touching food but it's actually really important to be connected with it and then there is even a listening, not so much with the hot chocolate, but with um, chocolate buttons, you'll snap the button because it'll have a nice snap. And then using your breath and your breathing to smell through your nose. And then, so it's this whole kind of like building up. And I can even tell now as I'm talking to you, I'm starting to salivate. This is how much chocolate <laughs> is. Oh my God, same, <laughs> same. I'm literally like,
0: why... <laughs> (laughs) Did I not bring some chocolate?
1: I know, we should be doing this live. I should have sent you some chocolate so we could do this together live. Oh my goodness, that would be so
0: great. Can you imagine me sitting here with my microphone just like (laughs) snaffling away at some chocolate?
1: It's great. And like even with that smelling, because the smelling is such an important part of the taste and it really, you start the salivation process, but it's also really interesting to smell chocolate because on first smell, yes, it just smells like chocolate, which is one of the aromas, but the more you smell chocolate and you get used to it, you start smelling all sorts of different things in there. And then I get people to put a really tiny piece on their tongue and rather than chewing it, leaving it to melt and sort of moving around their mouths, kind of really noticing the mouth feel. And then we have another form of smell, which is our throat smells. So what happens when you chew or eat food is that as you breathe out, you've got all these um, uh, flavour molecules that have been released in your mouth. They basically get pushed up the back of your nose to your olfactory bulb. So flavor is actually another form of smell. What we actually call taste, um, so what we taste on our tongue with our taste buds is more like sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and umami. So I get people to do that for a mouthful and then stop because I think that's the other thing, especially with chocolate, like your instant inclination with chocolate is to get a piece of chocolate, and just shove it in your mouth. And don't get me wrong. I'm the same as everyone else, especially because I adore chocolate. I, I don't tend to do that too often, but you know, I see chocolate and just want to eat it. So, you know, don't, I'm not someone that sits and eats every single mouthful of chocolate like this, but in the process of the meditation. It's all about going very, very slow. So it's then taking a pause. And this is one of the first points of not just kind of going through each of those senses, but also really doing that, that as a bit of a check-in with yourself and thinking, well, how am I feeling about this? do I like this? Is it reminding me of something? Sometimes it brings up colors for people. Sometimes it brings up memories because smell is a really important part of memory. Sometimes it's also just say, Oh, my mind is really wandering. You know, that's obviously all part of the practice, but it's having that little pause and then it's very slowly going through then getting people to just do small mouthfuls and comparing from mouthful to mouthful, what the experience is, because especially when you're using a really, really good chocolate, you'll actually find that the experience of the second and the third mouthful can be quite different from the first, one and I even find that when we're doing chocolate judging so when I'm doing a session with chocolate judging we'll sometimes be tasting 25 or 30 different chocolates in a session so that's it's quite a lot I mean you're only having small pieces of them you're not eating a whole bar because that would be too much but they even with that and I always have to remind myself with this from the meditations is that sometimes you'll have the first mouthful and you think eh, there's not much to it it's okay. Then you have a second and a third mouthful and you're like, oh, wow, no, there's all these different flavor notes. I'm getting butter, I'm getting rum, it's actually a little bit more grainy or it's really creamy or it's got this really amazing astringent feel to it. So it's actually kind of taking that whole sense of curiosity into the experience And as I said, like, yes, it's important to know whether you do or don't like something, but it's kind of almost irrelevant in some ways as well, because it's very much around that experience. And it's a very physical connection thing. And I think particularly for people that have tried meditations, especially a breathing meditation or any time or like silent meditations, which I don't know why anyone would try that as a first go, because it's almost one of the most difficult meditations you can do just to sit and be silent. When you've got something external like chocolate, it can really help with the focus. So it's a genuinely good tool for people that have really struggled with other forms of meditation. So you kind of have all those benefits. And then it's really interesting because what I'll tend to do is I'll have two single origins for that first meditation. So you go through that first piece and then you go on to the second piece. And so you've got this quite different contrast of tastes and flavours. And I never tell any I never tell people about any of the flavors or anything up front because I never want to bias people's palates. But I'll always choose two that are a similar cocoa percentage, but taste very different. And it's really surprising afterwards when you say to people, well, that one was 70 and that was 72% dark chocolate. It's like, oh, really? I would never have thought they taste so different. It's like, yeah, I know. It's it's really amazing. Like I still get astonished by this. This is all the chocolate I'm tasting most days and I still get so excited by it. Like It's really, really amazing. So when it's the first time you've tasted it, it's like,
0: Wow, mind blown. Yeah, absolutely. I find that so interesting as well, how it can really taste very different. Because I think before you start getting interested in this kind of thing, you would probably just think, well, you know, dark chocolate that's sort of 70% or 72% probably going to taste more or less, you know, kind of maybe different, but basically the same. You know, maybe it's going to taste different, obviously, if it's dark versus if it's milk or if it's yeah. got a flavor. But I just, I've been the same. I used to work people will know that I used to be a a food journalist a restaurant journalist and when I was doing that I had the chance to taste some chocolate by lots of amazing brands but one that comes to mind is Valrhona chocolates Mm, which mm. is in kind of professional kitchens and as part of my work I used to obviously was lucky enough to try different kinds and the difference between them is just astonishing i mean yeah and it, it kind of when, when you haven't experienced it it sounds a bit strange but to be able to say this chocolate really tastes of coffee or this chocolate tastes like you say rum butter red fruits yeah. I, I i had a, a lot of chocolate that reminded me of kind of red currants and
1: yeah and the Valrhona yeah. in particular there is the one the one that's got that the little red mark on it as well and it has the sort of red flavored taste and it's yeah. yeah it's amazing it's like it's so it's so exciting and I get so excited by it and that's part of the reason that like, there's lots of really good meditation reasons and mindfulness reasons to use the chocolate, but it's more than that. It's like the chocolate itself is so exciting and unless you have worked in food or worked in chocolate or you're really, really into chocolate, it's very rare that you'd sit and taste different chocolates next to each other and i use a brand called pump street chocolate which i still think is hands down like one of the best consistently single origin craft slash bean to bar just throwing some chocolate terms in there um, chocolates and it's it's really lovely to work with as well but it's just it's really really astonishing the flavors that come through and that the madagascan chocolate which is quite often one of the ones I use in meditation, it's got a really sour taste. It's, like it's citrusy and sour. And you don't really think of chocolate being sour. And it's this really astonishing complex chocolate that is just like, wow, in your mouth. So you know, it's just, I think it's really exciting even just to have that experience of tasting the chocolate. And so I'm also quite happy if people come away from my sessions excited about trying chocolate. And trying chocolate for the taste benefits I mean, there's, there's lots of health benefits that you hear about dark chocolate and yeah, you know, there's, there's lots of studies that have been done on that. And I obviously keep abreast of those, but that's, again, that's not actually the reason I use it. It's just, this really astonishing sensory experience. The taste is amazing and it's really exciting to discover that and kind of take that away with you as well. So yeah, like the meditation is great, but the chocolate is also great. <laughs> I think that's so
0: fantastic to highlight that. I think also I wanted to talk about how much chocolate has to do with feeling good.
1: Mm. Like
0: you said, it's not just approaching it in a very scientific way, you know, okay, this one tastes like this, or, you know, approaching it from a kind of wine tasting kind of approach. It's also about the fact that, like you say, chocolate can be a really amazing thing to taste and it makes you feel good and it's delicious. And it's maybe something that historically people think is a bit cheeky or kind of a little bit. Now, I'm going to use this word in inverted commas, but naughty. (laughs) And um, I did want to talk about that aspect of it, because I think that, especially like you said earlier as well, food is so political, especially for women. You know, and myself, I've struggled with a love-hate relationship with with chocolate, food in general, but in cho- with chocolate specifically because chocolate's my thing. I love it. You know, I would choose chocolate over pretty much anything else. You know, even like
1: alcohol, wine. You know, oh, me too, me if too. If somebody like, said give up a, everything else, yeah, if I couldn't eat chocolate, I'd just be like, no, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do mostly eat fruit and vegetables, but you know, like a food of choice, if I had to give up those things that were not necessities in my nutrients, yeah, chocolate wins over everything. Well. I'm
0: the same. I'm the same. And I think sometimes people think you're a bit strange when you say that. People, you know, what do you mean you would choose chocolate over wine? Are you insane? But it's kind of like, no, for me, it has been a really. I I do get a huge amount of pleasure from it and not just the cheap stuff that you can eat kind of super easily and it feels good, but also really great tasting experiences like you've said. But like I said earlier, there's a love hate thing going on there, especially if maybe you struggle with body image like I have, or if you've been brought up to believe that there are good and bad foods or that chocolate is something you should eat, you know, eat only once in a while or that it's bad for you or Can you talk a little bit more about that side of things? Because I think so much of what you're speaking to is basically reconnecting with the emotional side and the feeling good element of chocolate.
1: And, you know, it's so funny and I I totally, everything you said really resonates with me. I mean, I'd love to say I'm this very cool, intelligent woman who's disconnected from all these cultural pressures because you kind of think you should be better and you should know more than that. And I'm totally not. I have so struggled with my body image over the years and really struggled with, you know, what the perfect foods were because I was like, oh, I can only eat unprocessed, organic, whole foods all the time or I'm failing as some kind of human being with someone working in food. And actually, one of the really amazing things, and this was not the reason that I started with mindfulness, is that it's really helped me let go of a lot of that stuff. And I guess it's really interesting with anyone who has had issues with IBS is that you go through this really challenging relationship with food. And because one of the first things you're quite often told to look at is your diet. And obviously the diet is an important part of it, but I actually think it's almost overweighted. So you start getting these panics about, I can't have this, I can't have that. This is causing me flare ups. When actually I know looking back, a lot of it was stress related. It was not the foods I was eating. There are some foods I have problems with and I just have to, limit those and they're they're good foods like things like pulses which i love i can't eat a lot of but it was also feeding part of this yeah these are good foods these are bad foods And even though I really loved chocolate and was predominantly eating better chocolate, that definitely still fell into the naughty category. And I'm the same as you using inverted commas. I just, I really have taken away the use of that language. That's been a really conscious thing for me is that I don't use words like guilt. I certainly don't use words like guilt free food because I mean, what the hell, when did we have this attachment to food, which is guilty? Food has no guilty, not guilty. I mean I, I know I know it can be challenging if you 're trying to lose weight, kind of find that really healthy attitude with food, but I think this is one of the things with the purest form of mindful eating, and it is not something that happens straight away, is that you suddenly get, well, you don't know, suddenly, that's the wrong phrase. You do eventually get to a point of knowing what is enough for you and what is right for you. And again, it's a very much a process of learning. And knowing that sometimes you'll have a bit too much of stuff and you'll feel a bit bloated and sick and a bit, whoa, and then you'll be like, okay, well, look, I ate a bit too much. That's okay as well. And I think there were even things like, you know, my husband loves crisps like he really really loves crisps he he likes crisps in the way like like chocolate but he also runs ultra distance marathon type things. so you know he can eat a lot lot. but for a long time I was like oh but I can't have crisps because they're really really bad food they're really naughty and actually I quite like them I don't like them in the same way that he does but I'm also I can now sit and have some crisps with him while he's eating them without then going oh my god I've eaten crisps I have to go for a 10 mile run you know it's just I feel I feel really sad about the amount of energy and the amount of emotion that I've wasted over this over the years. And I still have to be really careful with it as well. Like it's a real thing that even now, it can definitely jump up for me, but that's again, I guess where it comes back to why it's so important to find these regular tools that you've got in your toolbox because those toolboxes, that toolbox kicks in when I hear myself, first of all, I'm aware that I'm saying that to myself and then I'm like, hang on, I've got a response to this, which is, that's not helpful. That is not helpful. It's not helping me, it's not helping other people. And it's just, yeah, I just feel really sad that it's still such an issue for so many of us, me included. And that is definitely one of the things that, I want to communicate in a more softly, softly way through the way that I'm communicating about chocolate, which is partly why I don't really talk so much about health benefits, because I think sometimes we can almost be a bit nutritionalist in the way that we think of food. And that's not to say, just in case there's any nutritionist listening, I'm not saying that's not against nutritionists. I think it's more just broadly we as normal human beings can sometimes try and break things down to these really tiny component parts rather than thinking of, well, actually, what is the food that I need to have in my broader diet that makes me feel energized and uplifted? And knowing that sometimes I'll get that a bit wrong, and so, but most of the time I can probably get it right with a bit of practice and experience. And sometimes, you know, you might need a dietitian or a nutritionist or even someone who works in CBT to help you with that. But actually, it's a, we really, really need to work on letting it go because it's just... And I know it, it does affect men as well. I, I'm aware of that. But I think as women in particular, it's just this colossal waste of energy that we could be using towards something that could be so much more productive, like you know, saving the world. Let's, let's kind of go big. Let's save the world. <laughs> Instead of thinking so much about, yeah, you know, damage what we're doing to our bodies... La, la, la. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's just, I think it can be really preoccupying in an unhealthy way. And, you know, I'm not talking about people that have got full blown eating disorders, but I think there's a lot of us with disordered ways of we of eating. And I've had to work through a huge amount of that myself. And that's one of the big reasons that I never really talk about this in relation to chocolate. Cause I just think it's not helpful for people to think about it that way. But
0: that's kind of why I love the intersection in your work between mindfully eating the chocolate and appreciating the chocolate for how it makes you feel because on a really basic level if you eat something mindfully you're probably not going to
1: eat as much of it because you're not just shoveling it down you know this is it Yeah, yeah totally and it's always amazes me and like even when i do so i do sometimes do more straightforward chocolate tastings with a little bit of mindfulness thrown in and we'll eat maybe six seven small pieces of chocolate because they make like these little little circles that are quite thin because they're easy to taste and people come away at the end of it they're like wow i feel like i've had enough and i was like yeah you've probably had five ten grams of chocolate if, if that maybe a little bit more but because you've taken this time to really slow down you suddenly know when you've had enough and you've had all these tastes and flavors and it's really satisfying. So that's something that you can't get when you eat really fast. And my husband is a nightmare. Like I've been working on him; He's got a lot better, but he does definitely suck his food in. Like he, he inhales off his plate. So he, he makes an effort not to. But you know you are definitely missing out on some of the taste experience doing that as well. There's lots of good reasons to slow down, but you know you do get a much more satisfying taste experience when you're slowing down. And I think especially if you're eating like really lovely food, um, you know it makes a difference. But it's also a lot of us can get into habits of eating food by habit that we don't even necessarily like. But it's just because it's there. And I'm not saying you have to, again, you know, like I was saying, I don't expect everyone to walk away and eat every single mouthful mindfully. You don't have to love every single meal that you create. But you should at the very least enjoy the food that you're eating. And so taking up a little bit of time to say, oh, do you know what? I don't love kale. It doesn't taste really good for me. Uh, I mean, it might do after a few tries, but actually I don't really enjoy it. But I do love broccoli or actually I really love this dark chocolate. I don't love that dark chocolate or everyone is saying I should eat this special kind of fruit, but I don't like it. So don't eat it. If you don't like it, don't eat it. There's lots of other things that you can eat in your life that are still really, really delicious. So find out what those are and enjoy them as well. Absolutely.
0: What, What I think they're saying is that it's about getting to know yourself to yourself. Like you say, you know, the people that have done your tasting, maybe they're not actually eating that much chocolate, but they're feeling like they've had enough. And that resonates a huge amount with me, like going back to what we were saying as well about like emotional eating and seeing food as good and bad. And I mean, I've lost, I'm not going to say how much it is because I don't think it's important how much it is, but I've lost quite a significant amount of weight this year. And I've done that I'm I'm not kidding. My boyfriend will attest to this. I've done that by eat I eat chocolate still every single day. Yeah. So I'm losing weight. I mean, I've been losing weight consistently since January and it's been a lifestyle change. I've been running a lot more. I've been really aware of what I'm putting in my mouth, you know, when I eat something that I know is maybe more calorific or something that's not so healthy or good for me. I appreciate it because I know that, you know, my overall goal is wellness and feeling good and yes, dropping some weight, but Mm. it's, it's not about that for everyone, but I've started to see food as much more to do with how it makes me feel. Mm. And that's not It's not about demonizing foods. Like I say, even as I've been losing weight, I've been eating chocolate every single day. But you know what I do? I tend to choose better quality chocolate and I eat less of it. And that's not because I'm trying to be a massive chocolate snob. It's because, okay, I know that I'm only going to eat a small amount of this because I know that in order to reach my wellness and weight goals, I can't snaffle down an entire bag. So I'm going to try and choose chocolate that I can really appreciate and for me that's really important as well because it is about knowing yourself I know that if I have a small amount of good quality chocolate that's going to be good for me but I also know there are people out there that wouldn't be able to do that because they'd instantly just eat the whole bag yeah it's it's about knowing what works for you you know if you want to lose weight like 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 me or, or or if you want you have fitness or health goals and you want to use your food as a way of supporting you that's kind of how I've been seeing it. And for me, that's been really revelationary. That's not Mm. a word. For me, that's been really revelatory.
1: (laughs) Kind of revelationary. Let's go with that. Let's just like add a word to the dictionary. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. Okay, let's go with it. It's just been, it's been so eye-opening for me to realize that maybe I don't eat the whole bag of chocolate. And actually, maybe I appreciate just a little bit of it. And actually, that's also
1: fine. Yeah. And it's, 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 it is really challenging, isn't it? And especially because, you know, there are a lot of people who are overweight and want to lose weight and get to a point where, you know, again, your perfect weight is different for everybody. And, you know, I know when my body feels better and I know, you know, when I feel like I've needed to, I probably have probably lost a bit too much, much weight in the past, but then I've also easily put weight on as well. And so it's this constant tussle and yeah, I've definitely gone through a lot of that stuff with, you know, things that I could and couldn't eat and things that I should and shouldn't enjoy. And funny enough, you know, chocolate has always been one of the things that I haven't ever felt as guilty about, which is quite interesting. I'm not, maybe that was just an indication that I was destined to work with it eventually, but certainly not in the way, like I have no compunction with telling people, yes, I eat chocolate nearly every single day now. And and not just because it's my work, it's because I genuinely enjoy it and it makes me feel good. And I don't have huge amounts because it's really delicious dark chocolate and i don't feel i need it and i think that's the other thing it's understanding more what i need but i think for instance for a long time I didn't eat wheat. And I was definitely part of the group of people that was like, oh, wheat can be really bad for you. And I actually, in fairness, it was causing me some issues for a while, but I was so determined that I love sourdough. I was so determined to eat it again. I was like, look, I'm going to work through this and I'm going to get to a point where I can enjoy bread again. And I do. And again, it took me, There was definitely psychological stuff I needed to work through as well with that. And funnily enough, because I'm not worried about it so much now I'm absolutely fine with it but I do predominantly eat sourdough because it's fermented and I find that's better for my digestion and I also know that if I've eaten too much of any grain actually my stomach feels uncomfortable but that has just been that process of learning so yeah it's 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 just really it's really difficult to unpick and it's really interesting because i mean like years ago i amongst one of my many many weird jobs that i've done in the past i used to work in government and i worked um in a department that doesn't exist anymore which was essentially a full servicing marketing agency for government and for public sector bodies and i did a lot of public health campaign development and was involved in doing some work with childhood obesity And you look at all the stats around it. But the thing that was really amazing for me when it came to obesity is you've got this amazing chart with the causes of obesity. And it basically just looks like this massive page of squiggles, because there is no single thing. There is no single cure. and There's no single reason. And there's lots of things that play into it. And emotions is definitely a big part of it. It's not the only part of it. But I think tackling some of those things around how we feel and talk to ourselves about food is a really big part of trying to get to a healthier relationship with it. And certainly that was very much, at the core of why I developed my business because it was something that I felt I really needed to rebuild because I knew I was talking to myself in some really unhealthy ways about how I was viewing food and it was not just about the IBS. That kind of almost exacerbated the IBS in some ways as well because I was getting a little bit stressed about it and I definitely got to a point where I'd restricted a lot of foods, not just because of the IBS and I was certainly saying, oh no, it's because of my digestion and it wasn't just because of my digestion, I can look back now And I can see that I was using it as an excuse to restrict things. And, you know, that was really painful for me to have that recognition of, you know, that's not the real reason, is it? And that was really, again, where that mindfulness practice came into play because I don't think I would have even recognized that I would have kept going in that same way of, yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely because I'm trying to heal my digestion. It's definitely because I'm trying to heal my digestion and it just, it wasn't. And I think, falling even more in love with chocolate was a really healing thing for me because it helped me get beyond a lot of that I think learning more about chocolate and learning about how it was produced and learning about how it was connected with taste was this incredibly healing thing even though I've said I wasn't trying to heal myself actually emotionally it's been incredibly healing for me and I think even I guess that whole connection of the way that chocolate is made and how it starts out in cacao plantations and all the people that are involved in the growing and the making process before it even gets to your mouth, for me, was really eye opening and it made me respect that food but a lot of other food in a very different way as well and i think that helped me start changing some of that conversation i was having with myself about where my food was coming from and what it was doing to my body and just almost saying like get over yourself a little bit i was definitely like really self-absorbed in not a healthy way and it's a very easy thing to do so yeah i did kind of have to just get over myself a bit
0: that's amazing yeah i mean I just love everything that you're saying. It just, like I say, it just leads me to want to ask you so much more about it. I mean, firstly, what you just said, I think it's so important to to note the link between food and emotion. And then obviously the, the, the link between emotion and, and mindfulness, because obviously it kind of makes sense that they're so interlinked because it's like one of the main reasons why I loved mindfulness when I discovered it is that it gave me a chance to get to know myself and, be accepting of my own emotions and start that process of noticing how you feel and then not only noticing it, but accepting it and then not only accepting it, but being like, okay, cool, is this how I want to feel? Can I choose a more healthy route? Is there another response to the situation that's going to make me feel better or that is going to, yeah, make me feel healthier and happier or more confident or whatever it might be?
1: Now, I think that's a really lovely way to describe that journey. And I think that is exactly how it worked for me too. And, you know, it's, it's also accepting that, you know, you don't always have to have these positive emotions as well. You don't always have to have these positive, positive feelings. I don't always have to be this happy go lucky, joyous person full of enthusiasm, which I am a big chunk of the time as well. But, you know, sometimes I feel like crap. Sometimes I get really stressed. Sometimes I feel, I feel upset at my body that it's not working in the way that it should do. And, I'm now able to say okay I'm feeling that and that's actually okay sometimes and sometimes it's then saying well actually that's not very helpful what's a different response or that's not true and that's that's come through through practice and practice and practice of repeating things and changing that story to yourself and changing the words to yourself and yeah that's just it takes time and then you think you've dealt with it and it sneaks up and it's there again you're like (laughs) <laughs> I thought i with you. You little fuck. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Hilarious. Like that's why I always say it's such a practice, because it's like, oh, I need to deal with this thing again. I thought I'd <laughs> sorted this emotion out. Oh, apparently not. It's it's back again. <laughs> but f- yeah, I just think that's so key to, to highlight that connection because yeah, for me, food has always been emotional. Like mm-hmm. I said earlier, you know, I, I've always eaten emotionally. It's been a source of comfort, it's been a source of kind of a love-hate relationship you know, I'll eat when I'm celebrating something, I'll eat when I'm sad. And it's been for me a journey of discovering that awareness and realizing, okay, do I want to eat this just because I'm sad? Is it going to make me feel better? And that's okay. Or actually, is there a healthier way of dealing with this emotion? And just being in a place where you're able to identify emotions and realize why you're doing something. I mean, that for me is, is kind of, was, was totally mind blowing when I first discovered it.
1: Oh, me too. And I think, you know, it's really interesting, especially when you learn about the studies and the way that, uh, especially mindfulness in particular long going, it affects the amygdala, which is, you know, where you get a lot of these emotional responses for. I can really see the difference in the way that I respond things, both food and beyond. And I can even see in my relationship with my husband, you know, we've never really fought, but certainly we used to get a bit fractious sometimes. And yeah, we still do sometimes as well, but it it was a much more common thing. And now I'm able to stop that or just say oh actually I'm really sorry that was not the right thing for me to say and instead of kind of holding on to it and feeling bad about it I can actually be a bit more circumspect in the moment of saying that was the wrong thing to do and actually a lot of the time it doesn't happen at all because I'm not even feeling that same level of just mm, yeah just emotional overreaction to really small things and changing the way that I respond to certain things as well. Like I used to, like I'm Australian, as so you can probably tell from my accent, And I do like a good swear every now and then, but my husband pointed out to me that there were a few times I would have these real things with my laptop where I couldn't get something working. And I just be like, fuck, 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 And he's like, would you stop doing that? It's really horrible. I'm like, no, because this makes me feel really good. And then I was like, do you know what? That actually really does not make me feel good at all. <laughs> it's just making me more and more wound up. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so oh I thought god. it was this like really cathartic thing. Actually, it was quite unhealthy. I have some quite healthy swears at times as well, and it makes me feel quite good. But that was a, definitely a case of yeah, I try not to do that now.
0: That's just brilliant. I love it. I mean, I'm I'm not Australian. I'm very British, and I mean, I say very British. I don't really know what that means. I'm, I would actually call myself European, but that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, oh my god, I love a good swear as well. I I don't know why people get so offended by it. Like.
1: Mm, no, you know I quite cathartic at so times. do i
0: like unless i'm swearing at you i can see where you would be offended if i was swearing oh, yeah at you. yeah yeah no that's fair but enough if i'm just swearing <laughs> near you like it's actually fine like what's the problem i think it's great but yeah, sometimes a good place swear words really funny as well <laughs> absolutely oh my god i think it's absolutely hilarious um so I did want to go back to what you said earlier as well. We were talking about emotions of chocolate, but we were also talking about how when you started going down this kind of chocolate discovery journey that you found out more about the process of making it and about the people mm. and about the communities. And a real principle of meditation, mindfulness, is community and compassion, not only for yourself, yeah. but also the way that you that you are approaching the rest of the world and I think the more that you foster a compassionate mindset within yourself it becomes a million times easier to be compassionate to other people and it's like interesting that you talked about your husband as well because I found in my relationships too the more aware I become of what I want and what I need the more aware I like to think anyway I become towards other people as well because I know how that would make me feel or I'm aware of what's going on with me so instead of being like you said that you made me feel like this oh my god I, st- I am actually like I like you said much more able to be reflective and think okay well what's going, what's actually going on here? Why am I feeling like this? What's triggering my anger or what's triggering my upset? And yeah, I'll still get angry. I'll still get upset, but I'll be able to be more aware of it and maybe explain it in the moment so that I don't Mm. react in a kind of damaging way. Sometimes when we're having an argument, I always think it's hilarious with me and my partner when we have a disagreement. Sometimes I'll, I'll literally be like, well, I just want to address that thing that you said because actually it made me feel like this and maybe you you said that because maybe you thought this. It's just like it's the most civilised, ridiculous <laughs> argument ever. It's just like, no, sometimes we just want to yell at each other. Like, it's not a big deal. It's okay. But, um, but I think what you're saying, To long story short, I'd love to talk more about the idea that chocolate has brought you closer to feeling compassion towards... Yourself towards others in your immediate circle, but also, like you said, the communities that make it. Because it is a huge, long process that requires a lot of people,
1: nature as well, environmental factors. It really does. And you know, it's this I mean, it's such an incredible food. It really, really is. And I think it brings to life so many things in our food system, but also the way that we are connected as as human beings and with nature. And you know, just in case anyone doesn't know, I mean, the actual production of chocolate, the very stages, and even with the cacao farmers, um, who quite often especially if you're having more mass-produced stuff you know they'll quite often have their own little farms that might be part of a cooperative or they'll kind of part of a big company that's buying their chocolate a lot of them living uh, at subsistence or below but it's a very manual production it's not in those early stages something that you can do with big machines and big plantations a lot of the time it's still these individual households individual farmers sometimes big farms sometimes small who are cutting these pods by hand from the trees and then cutting them open with machetes by hand. I mean, this stuff is being touched by people. It's being grown by someone, someone who is quite often earning considerably less than what we would <laughs> be earning in a week. In fact, nearly always, because it only really grows around the equatorial belt. So basically between the of cancer and Tropic of capricorn. So um, most mass-produced cocoa comes from West Africa, so Ghana and the Ivory Coast. Uh, what I use comes from from different countries so i have a range of everything from madagascar to ecuadorian so i mean you can get chocolate from you can actually even get chocolate from australia these days as well on the top of australia there's some cacao plantations but vietnam so i mean it's, it's really interesting because they all taste quite different but it's this really connecting global food that's really manually produced by real human beings there's not a big machine this is not a big factory that is growing this stuff that we're eating but it's such a commoditized product so a little bit like coffee you know it's this really Overly traded product, which means a lot of the farmers don't get paid very well for it. Which is one of the reasons why I'm a big advocate of eating better quality chocolate. It's it's not just because I mean the taste is normally better, not always, but it doesn't also mean that the farmers are getting paid properly for it too. But it is also this real sense of responsibility. Your in your food choices, your food choices actually do connect you to other people around the world. The way that you buy your food, the way that you eat your food actually is not just an individual decision it's not just about you it's not just about your body it's very you know the, yeah what you do impacts a lot of other people and i think we can really forget about that and that is actually really the broad sense of mindful eating is you know it's very much around that i'm sorry i'm getting distracted because my my little dog is looking at me through the window panting and i'm wondering what he's been doing outside there i'll go and check it if he's got some water sorry oh really distracted.
0: hilarious what did we do to deserve dogs they are
1: they are so brilliant i love it i love it but you know he's also another sense of connecting with nature i mean it's this really you know we can we can get really disconnected and in our own little bubbles and i think this was because you know, i said i really had to get over myself that was that real realization of yes of course it is important you do need to go in first and you absolutely need to work on yourself first to have this understanding but once you've done that work and once you've done particularly through something like mindfulness you start having this realization that it's not just about you you know there's your immediate community there's your immediate friends and family but then more broadly there's this whole global world that we're part of and our individual choices actually do have a huge impact so we don't need to feel disempowered And we don't need to feel overwhelmed by that, but actually just have that awareness and thinking, you know, I can actually, I can make a difference even through the chocolate that I'm choosing. If I choose better quality chocolate, that is actually supporting a food system and a growing system and people in another country in a way that if I'm always reaching for the very, very cheapest, when I can afford a bit more, and this is, I'm, I realize that not for every, it's not always possible for everyone to choose better, but when you can afford to pay that bit more, you are actually making a really big difference to someone somewhere down the line. That's so incredible. I love that. It just touches upon so
0: much in mindfulness and and meditation that I come across all the time, like I did a a course on more Buddhist centered Mm -hmm. meditation. It's not really the meditation that I particularly do every day. Um, People will know that my meditation is kind of very down to earth, secular, comes from like MBSR, MBCT Mm -hmm. lineage. Um, However, that itself is based on Theravada Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Um, And the great thing about when i was meditating with buddhists was that they would start each meditation with i'm gonna paraphrase it because i can't remember the exact phrase that they used but they said you know i I give thanks to the buddha i give thanks to the teachings of the buddha and then they said i give thanks to the community of buddhists that i really beautiful yeah the community of buddhists that i am meditating with and there's a there's a word in buddhism called sangha and the sangha is um oh your puppy is (laughs) is wanting to get involved in (laughs) this podcast so much
1: he's like i want to be recorded on this too
0: (laughs) i think i think we can hear him he should keep going (laughs) Keep, keep barking little puppy um yeah i mean it's hilarious
1: that he's getting involved little kits with bars and uh little uh mouthfuls like dipped apricots and they come with self-guided meditations and actually slightly hot off the press. I'm refocusing my product range a little bit to focus predominantly on the hot chocolate. And it is about not just about the taste of the chocolate. I mean, that is an important part of it, but it's about how you can have little moments of mindfulness in your day and using the chocolate as a tool to do that, because we can be really bad at giving ourselves that time it can sometimes feel really difficult even to just sit for five minutes. So, if that five minutes is sitting and enjoying some chocolate, That can sometimes be an extra incentive to sit down and enjoy it i mean i'm sure not everyone who buys them eats them that way but that is really the idea behind the bars and it's also because i mean and i don't know how much work you did with chocolate when you were kind of doing your food stuff as well but it's it's actually quite a difficult ingredient to work with so i work from my home kitchen i temper in my kitchen at home so if it's too cold or too hot It can be challenging, but, you know, that is also where my mindfulness comes in. Wow, yeah. uh, It's also, it's an incredibly mindful experience working with chocolate because you have to be completely focused on the chocolate when you're working with it. If you get distracted or you try and do too many things at once, the chocolate will spoil. So it'll go out of temper. So basically the temperature will go too high, for example. Um, You can spill things, (laughs) you can drop stuff in it. It won't measure out properly. You know, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong. And I've, I've pretty much made every single mistake that you could <laughs> possibly make. But it's it's this incredibly mindful experience. Plus you have all the aromas and I'm clearly tasting as I'm going for quality assurance purposes. Absolutely. So, you do not yeah. want to do <laughs> anything else. I would expect nothing less. No. So it's it's a really... I really enjoy working with chocolate and it's this real challenge was sort of running it as a business as well, because obviously one of the things that you need to do is find a way to scale and I won't ever scale the actual chocolate bar making because part of the reason I do it is I enjoy making the chocolate bars and people kind of said to me, oh, but you could get someone else to make them. I'm like, yeah, but that sort of takes away from why I'm doing it. So I'll still do small batch and special orders of those, but actually I'm going to be much more focused on the hot chocolate range specifically some new flavors and also because just the way like naturally with the warmth and the aroma of hot chocolate from the process of when you make it because my guidance for how you should make it if you've got time is to do it in a little milk pan on the hob so that you start the whole process with the stirring and the smelling and watching it thicken then you sit down with this lovely cup of hot chocolate and you just breathe it in and it's like oh i mean you could just it Yeah, I mean, even again, it's the same as like talking about tasting the chocolate. I feel my worries—I said worries—my worries, my worries melting away. (laughs) I'm so relaxed I can't even speak properly. I feel my worries just melting away, just thinking about how it makes me feel to just sit with a drink and. You know, you can do it with tea or coffee as well. It's just, I really love hot chocolate. And I also think there's not much in the range of really good hot chocolates around There's There's a handful of them, but they're a little bit tricky to get hold of. But, you know, I sort of want to use this as yeah, just like a really lovely tool to just be totally chilled. And you can do it with someone else or you can do it on your own. And you can have as much chocolate in it as I have and have it really thick or if like that's a bit too much for you. So like I'm a bit of a chocoholic, so I would tend to put a fair bit in. You, know, you can have them a little bit lighter and either way, you're still going to have that whole really soothing experience and was like making that like you hear self care ritual quite a lot and sometimes i think it's an overused phrase but actually this genuinely can be a really beautiful self care ritual to just sit with a really beautiful warming hot, cup of hot chocolate oh it just sounds absolutely heavenly i mean thank you
0: <laughs> i mean it's it is so funny to think like i am a mindfulness teacher and the amount of times that i sit down to focus on only one thing aside from my regular meditation practices is like mm-hmm. never
1: yeah it's really hard like literally
0: literally like hardly ever i mean when i go running i listen to guided running tracks or music when i eat lunch i usually watch youtube videos or ted talks or listen to a podcast when i'm commuting or getting the train listen to a podcast Like when I'm in the shower, sometimes I'll have music on like, Mm. you know, and I am aware that I tried to limit my screen time and, you know, and, and as somebody that is interested in all of this stuff, of course, I'm aware of when I'm distracted or whatever, but it's like to actually sit down with a cup of hot chocolate and do nothing except taste the hot chocolate, like not read, not read an article, catch up on news, um, scroll through my phone, look at Instagram. Like that is, it's
1: rare in modern life that, mm. that we do that. It really? It Yeah, is. it really is. And that's why it's always really amazing when I do the meditations also, because I give people, it's basically when, when I do the meditation with the hot chocolate, I give people a really thick shot of, it's an espresso sized hot chocolate. People can look at it and they're like, where's the rest of it? I'm used to having, I thought I was getting a cup of hot chocolate. And I was like, well, A, it's got a lot of chocolate in there but just wait till we do the meditation because the meditation's about 20, 25 minutes with this guided sipping, which again, when you tell people how long it's gonna be, they're like, really? And it goes really quickly. And I'd say a third of people don't even finish the hot chocolate because you're tasting it so slowly. And because, yeah, that same, exactly that thing. It's so rare for any of us, myself included. You know, I still have to work really hard on finding time for myself to be kind of monotask rather than multitask. It's this really incredible and enlivening, sometimes challenging experience of realizing what it's like to just be doing that single thing even with something you think you enjoy. And I've even had one lady come along to one of my sessions because occasionally I do get people that a few mouthfuls in, they're like, oh, I've just realized I don't even like hot chocolate. And they're like, well, that's an amazing realization. It's such a pity that you had it in the meditation, but that's a really amazing realization. But I did have one lady say that she just found the whole sensory experience so overwhelming. All she could have was two or three sips because she realized that her work and her life was so intensely busy that this was the first time in years where she had stopped and was just doing this one thing and it was way too overwhelming for her I was like that's really interesting but yeah just stop you don't need to keep drinking that's when you can just chill out but I have some quite exciting experiences that I'm kind of very, very early stages of planning out down the line because I'm really passionate about creating spaces where people can just slow down and do a single or even two things. Even just doing two things is less than what most people are trying to do in one go. And I think we just all need to find ways to just chill the F out basically because it's hard. It's really hard.
0: Totally. I mean, paradoxically what you're saying kind of makes me think of two things the first thing is that i've been trying to just like you said Mm monotask in my work but also just in general when i'm eating when i'm talking to my partner when i'm you know anything um and firstly it is a challenge but but also it's so much easier to get something done If you are monotasking on it, like for example, social media is a good example. Social media, you go on it and you're like, you get sucked in, you forget why you even picked your phone up in the first place. You know, 15 minutes later, you're at the bottom of an Instagram scroll wondering where your life has gone. (laughs) And I'm now really trying, whether it's answering an email or writing something down or picking my phone up, I'm trying to literally be really intentional about what I'm doing when I'm doing it and focusing on just doing one thing. And it's like I said, it's it's kind of paradoxical because on the one hand, it means that you are more focused and you're more productive and you're getting more stuff done. But then on the other hand, even though you're being productive and you're getting loads of stuff done, your brain feels about a million times calmer. Mm. So it kind of has this dual effect of like super productive, getting shit done, amazing. Like, yeah, you going through your to-do list because you're focusing on just one thing. But also,
1: you feel way less frazzled. and. Yeah, and I really noticed that days when I, I... And it's one of the reasons I don't just do the product and I don't just do the events because I actually quite like the balance of two and I wouldn't want to be in the kitchen full-time because that would just kill me. I mean, my brother's a chef and it's, it's a tough, tough work to be doing. But I have it balanced so that, you know, I have regular time in the kitchen and it's amazing because I really feel the difference of... Half a day or a day where i 've just been working with chocolate i 'm mostly like i 'll take the odd picture for Instagram, but you know i 'm not and I have the radio on, but i 'm not jumping around doing a million things i can 't check my emails. the kitchen has to be clean from food and safety perspective, you know everything 's got to be ordered and you know, I, I always I love the feeling at the end of those days, especially when I'm not doing it in pressured way. Like if I've got big orders, and especially like leading up to Christmas, I'll be honest, there were times when I'm like, whoa, this is too much. But generally, that's not the way I, I normally have to work with it. And it's just, I find it really calming, and I always come back to my screen work, and my laptop work, so much more focused when I've had that time just to be in the kitchen as well. So it's definitely. Yeah, I find it really therapeutic and Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm still, I'm definitely working a lot on the monotasking approach because it's, it's, it's not the way that we're taught to work. It's not the way that we're rewarded for working in business as well. And you're normally, you know, measuring or juggling multiple projects and then taking on development opportunities. And I'm doing that in inverted quotes, which is basically stuff that no one else wants to do, especially when you're more junior. you don't you get involved in all this different stuff because that's how you progress in your career and it's really interesting when you step away from all of that and you can start to assess it with a more objective eye and you're like actually that's not a really helpful way of working or living and it was definitely that spilled out into my home life and Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for just trying to do a little bit less and I find that really challenging and I've had a fairly quiet month and that's been really challenging for me psychologically but I also know it's a really good thing. So, you know, at least again, I know these things now in a way that I didn't before. So while I'm not always successful at feeling what I would like to be feeling (laughs) around these things, I'm much, much better than I was and hopefully in five years time, I'll just be like floating around on a cloud and getting stuff done man yeah same I
0: mean you know I'll I'll just have more of these conversations and you know we'll just put the world to rights and have all the answers and and you know in a few years time you'll just find us on a cloud just yeah. living the perfect life obviously eating
1: good chocolate eating good chocolate <laughs> sorry tasting tasting not just eating tasting good chocolate
0: <laughs> tasting and eating good chocolate and floating on a cloud yeah never having a single negative thought
1: ever again <laughs> obviously Well, not. unless it comes to Donald <laughs> Trump or Brexit, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said either of those two words. That's just—I don't want to end on a negative note. So you, you can I wanted that bit out. <laughs> this
0: conversation to be Donald Trump and Brexit free. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: yeah, I did just want to quickly talk. I've got a few um, quick-fire questions. I always ask my guests at the end of this podcast. But just before we jump into those, I wanted to ask you as well. We have talked a little bit about this, like the mind-body connection, but Something that I was discovering more recently in my mindfulness practice was the idea of just feeling with your body and kind of mm. taking your mind out of it. And it reminded me of that when we were just talking earlier about how when you're in the kitchen, you're just in the kitchen because mm. that's all that you can do. Like, like like you said, you have the radio on, but basically you're focused on what you're doing with your hands because you have to be. Mm. And I'd love to just hear how that actually helps you. Do you find that that does contribute to your mindfulness and your kind of mindful approach? The idea of being completely in your body. I mean, people talk about yoga, people talk about mindful running, people talk about mindful walking. And for me, that was a really groundbreaking idea. The idea that I didn't actually have to think or process things using language in my head, I could just feel and touch and be physically.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's also really helpful to talk about this because I think people assume that all mindfulness and all meditation is sort of seated maybe in a lotus position. I mean, you can meditate in any position you want to. To be honest, I quite often meditate lying down in bed. <laughs> but yeah, it, it doesn't have to be still. Sometimes that meditation is that movement and connection with the body. And I practiced Tai Chi for about seven years um, when I was working in London. Unfortunately, I'm not doing it now. And I really, I need to find a class because that was that was definitely uh, one of the precursors to me really experiencing that because there's this real sense of flow and breath and, the body as you say leading that not the mind and I think because we can be so much in our heads and so which so much in our minds it's incredibly freeing to let that go sometimes especially like I am definitely I'm a thinking person I'm definitely a box of frog brain type person if I allow myself to be that way so And I think that's one of the reasons I used to quite like running as well. I don't run these days. I walk instead because I find that's better for my body. And that was another thing of listening to my body because I just kept punishing myself with the running and running long distances. And it's like, no, that's what I have to do. But actually, it it wasn't right for me. And it was making me really, really tired. So I think, yeah, using the walking, using that time in the kitchen, actually, yeah, allowing your body and that physical sensation to lead you and to not not have to think about it so much, or the only thought that you have is about that physical sensation. It's really, really powerful. And I think, you know, it's, it's very easy to get disconnected from your body, especially if you're not doing yoga or Tai Chi. I mean, I think if you do do yoga or Tai Chi, something like that, you've got a better sense of it, but not everyone's doing that or they're doing fitness yoga rather than actual yoga, which again, it's while it might help with the toning of the muscles, it's kind of missing that psychological part as well. So for me, it's definitely being in the kitchen and certainly it's a precursor to my business baking and making bread in particular, because with bread that you're kneading. And I used to make bread when I was at university. That was, I used to do it at my study breaks because I just found that really soothing. So kind of almost intuitively without realizing it, I've always used that. And I think it's finding something that you can do with your hands and your body, whether it be a sport or a creative activity. And I think that's, that's, and you, know, you don't have to call it mindfulness. You, know, you can call it mindfulness if you want to, but actually the whole point of mindfulness is to help you get to that state. You can be in that state without calling it that. It's something that gives you focus, enjoyment, connection, and uses your body in some way. And, you know, so it could be playing piano, it could be creating art, it could be being in the kitchen, it might be being in the garden and getting your hands in the dirt, but using your hands and using your body. I'm, I'm really pleased you brought that up, actually, because I don't really talk about it that much, but I think that's incredibly important. And I still, that's that for me is when I get really caught up in my head. Even with the meditation, even with the writing, even with the other stuff that I do, sometimes the best way to get out of that is to just do something with my body in a slow and connected way. And that can really make big shifts in how I'm feeling.
0: Absolutely. Could not agree more. I think the way that you just said that was so beautiful, completely made total sense. I think as well, something that I was reading very recently, um, I'm massively obsessed with like the science of meditation and I've got this, I've got this book that is called altered traits. And it's basically about all of the reputable studies that have been done in recent years on meditation. And one of the really fascinating things that I was reading the other day from this book was the idea that scientists were doing studies on people's brains and they asked them to think about nothing. And they were really confused because they thought, well, why is the brain just as active when it's thinking about nothing compared to when we ask the people to do something or focus on something? And actually the brain appeared to be busier when we were thinking supposedly about nothing Mm. than it was when we were focused on something. And the scientists couldn't figure this out because they were like, surely it would be the other way around. Surely you know as soon as we start focusing on something our brain is going to fire into gear and and actually it was the opposite it was that when we are supposedly thinking about nothing our brain goes into overdrive thinking about all the things we should be doing our to do <laughs> list you know the conversation we had with that person at the coffee shop last week and we shouldn't have said that and oh my god did we sound rude and you know all yep. the things that we might torture ourselves with. And like you said, you know, the 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 mad box of frogs box of frogs mind or the monkey mind, people call it as well. And the scientists eventually found that the reason why the brain appears to be less active when you're actually doing something. Like you said, playing the piano, cooking, baking. Anything. I mean, it could be anything. It could be like fixing the router on your internet. Mm. You know, anything that requires you to be focused rather than stressing about something, your brain actually is less active. And not, not in a negative way, of course, but in a way that denotes focus, in a way that shows that it's really actually concentrating on something. And it's not firing all over the place, worrying about X, Y, Z. And I found that to be really fascinating because it's like you said, it's a form of mindfulness. It's a form of focus. It's taking you out of the monkey mind that you may otherwise be in if you hadn't have found this way of focusing, if you hadn't have found this physical activity to kind of occupy yourself with. And I think that's one of the reasons why, like you say, baking, yoga, walking, sometimes it's what we need. You know, sometimes we can sit down and meditate all day, we can journal all day. And actually, you know, the only thing that makes us feel better and gets us out of the slump that we're in is going outside for a walk. Yeah. Sometimes it really just is. It could be the last thing that you feel like doing, you know. I'm really bad at being a massive hermit and being in my house and being like, no, I don't have proper clothes on. I've got yoga pants on. (laughs) I don't want to go outside. I don't even know where my shoes are. Like, oh my God, I don't want to go outside. And it's like, no, actually, as soon as you step outside, you feel better.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I I do wonder whether that's why there's lots of things like crafting and all that sort of stuff has so much come back into the fore over the last few years because I think people are just really feeling... need for it and it is really important I mean I think in theory I mean people think they're busier than we ever were we're not really it's just the way that we in fact in theory we've got more free time than many many previous generations because of all the tools that we have it's just because of the technology that we have, we, are, we have this really weird state of flux with when and how we're connected with work and with life and the way that we overschedule our lives. And I've just been reading the Carl Honoré book. I've finally got around to reading his book on slow. I've read many, many excerpts. I've seen his TED talks. And so it's been great to finally read it. And I'm like, and, this, and the version I've got was written in 2002, 2003. So it's incredible that you know, this many years down the line, it's even more fractured than that. And we're still overscheduling. And so that was also something I've really released a lot is I give myself a lot of time to just be at home because it's really important for me. Some people get massively stimulated and energized by being around lots of people all the time. I absolutely do not. I love being around people and I love going out, but I also really need my downtime at home in my quiet with my little dog. And yeah, well, he's not always quiet as you heard, but, (laughs) but yeah, I just, I know that I need that for myself as well. So it's, it's getting that balance right. And that's certainly, you know, my meditation practice has helped me with that, but I also know it's not the only thing that I, I need. And i'm also very much a fan of sometimes very consciously watching netflix there is a lot to be said for the power of conscious television watching where you're just watching a film or you're watching something you really enjoy and you don't have your screens on you're not doing anything else that's a real pleasure so no i would never say don't watch tv just yeah you need to be a bit aware of how much you're watching it but i love it too (laughs) totally could
0: not agree more and and actually what What came to me when you were saying that is Like we were saying earlier, if you're going to watch a great film Watch the film, don't Mm -hmm. also be on your phone You know, don't, don't also be doing something else I think that's, you know that's a whole yeah. other conversation, but it goes it back to what we were saying before, like about, you know, being monotasking in the moment, probably with some chocolate next to you as well. Oh, I
1: absolutely. Sh- that's the only time hope. where I'm, I'm quite happy not to monotask. Like if I can do something yeah. with chocolate, that's, I'm happy with that kind of multitasking. <laughs> yeah. tasking yeah, Ignore of multi-tasking. everything I just said. Yeah. When there's chocolate involved. <laughs> yeah. All, yeah. All
0: bets are off when the chocolate's involved. <laughs> so I could talk to you for hours about all of these things, but you know, I'm aware that we have been chatting for a while. <laughs> we
1: have. I told you I talk a lot.
0: <laughs> oh my god, I'm the same. Literally, I just think it's hilarious. Like, I love how podcasts are long form, you know? Skip ahead if you're bored people, but I'm hoping that you're not because I've been loving chatting to you. It's been so fantastic. Thank
1: you. Me too. Chatting to you, not you chatting to me. That makes sense. Yes. I've been enjoying talking to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Perfect sense. I do have some quick fire questions. Great. It is pretty funny whenever I ask people these, sometimes they say these are not quickfire questions at all. <laughs> Reopen so many of the conversations that we've just had. But if you had to answer them quickfire, if you had to choose way, if you, ha- I'll start again. If you had to choose one way that your attitude towards chocolate and mindfulness has really helped you in your life and still continues to help you, what would that one way be?
1: I think it's just, it's actually just, it's, it's less of an attitude. It's more of the sense of connection with myself and other people. I think that's the big thing. And I'm still uncovering layers of that. So that, that would be the connection, definitely.
0: Love that. Eating or mindful chocolate tasting, anything about what you do, maybe just pure mindfulness meditation that they don't know that you wish they did.
1: I think, especially for people that haven't tried it, just that it doesn't always feel easy. But that's okay. And I think that's the thing is that people kind of come in and think they've tried it for a week or two weeks and they haven't got on with it. So they've got to give up. So I think my main thing would be look, it's it's okay if it doesn't feel easy, but also it's okay to stop if after a while it's really not working for you. It's not the only thing. And I think as I was saying to you at the beginning, look, even if all you take from it is that you sit every now and then, or maybe even every day with a small piece of chocolate and you eat that really mindfully, you're kind of doing a practice anyway and that's probably going to be beneficial for you.
0: Yes, absolutely. What would your one bit of advice be to somebody who wants to bring more of a mindfulness practice into their lives or who is even before that point who's maybe struggling with stress-related IBS in that same place that you were a few years ago, and is wondering, you know, what their way forward might be? How can they start to kind of address this?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I would, I would definitely say, and I wouldn't recommend it in all circumstances, but I think if you've got stress triggered IBS, I think it is probably one of the m- most important things that you could do for yourself is even if it's not mindfulness definitely slow eating more slowly but if if stress really is an issue for you and you don't have underlying other mental health issues because just a little caveat before i say anything that you know if you uh, have been diagnosed with depression if you've been diagnosed with schizophrenia before you progress onto a more in depth form of any meditation or mindfulness always always check with uh, medical health professionals because there can be some side effects but if that's not you and you know that you're stress triggered just just try it for I'd say like a month to two months and find a regular time that's always my secret that's always the way that I say to people look if you really if you want to explore it find a set time you know you can do every day and do it for two months and then see how you feel and you know you're not necessarily expecting big changes necessarily but I'd be really surprised if after two months you wouldn't at least see some benefit even being aware of your stress and knowing how you're reacting to stuff but just give it time, give it time. And it might not be mindfulness. I think that's a really fantastic tool. It's certainly helped a lot for me. And there's a lot of evidence around IBS and mindfulness and how it can be used as a tool. But just start, find a time that you can stick to, try it for a couple of months, and then just check in with yourself and see where you are. Absolutely. This is a question that's very specific to
0: you and what you do. If somebody wants to go to the supermarket on their way home from work after listening to this podcast or whatever it might be and they want to take some chocolate off the shelves so that they can do some mindful eating this evening or whenever they want to do it what would you recommend obviously the best thing is that they would buy your chocolate from your website because it's (laughs) been designed specifically for that and i am going to give you a chance to shout about that in a second (laughs) but if somebody's just in their local tesco or whatever um other supermarkets
1: are available um what what would you advise? Yeah, look, I think Green and Blacks is a great place to start. It's, it's organic. Um, it's not the nicest chocolate that you can get in a supermarket, but it's a really good place to start, and it's a really decent price for what it is. Um, if you can get Montezuma's, also really nice chocolate. Willie's Cacao, actually, from a supermarket chocolate, that's always my recommendation. Like, for the best that you can get, you can't get it in all supermarkets. Definitely Waitrose, and I think some Sainsbury's. I'm not quite sure. I don't know about Tesco, but certainly, yeah. If you can get a hold of Willie's Cacao, and my tip is go to the baking section and see if they sell the chef's drops because they are awesome. I do eat those um, that's a good yeah, tip that's a good tip go really, to the b- really baking section not yeah just the they're really good but actually a lot of the own brand single origin chocolates that you can get from supermarket own labels now are really tasty some of them are nicer than others but definitely most of the supermarkets have got a range of single origin so basically single origin means it comes from a particular country so if you see like a 70% from Madagascar or a 75% cocoa from India and you can even get nice milk chocolates as well it doesn't have to be dark so if you really hate dark chocolate find yourself a nice milk chocolate you can do the same thing Uh, but yeah supermarket own label single origins are generally actually really tasty but yeah if you're looking for a brand if you can get willy's cacao oh that's definitely my favorite supermarket chocolate i'd say yeah hands down
0: (laughs) yeah i was lucky enough to have some willy's cacao not long ago and um Yeah, it's just got such complex flavors. Yeah,
1: it's great. And it's really affordable for, for the quality of chocolate. And yeah, it's a little bit more expensive, obviously, than the others. But I mean, for the quality of the taste and for the price, it's pretty phenomenal, I think.
0: Amazing. And does this apply also to hot chocolate as well? Because you did mention, you know, the ritual of having a lovely warm hot chocolate and tasting that. Yeah. And, you know, it's actually
1: it's really difficult to get good hot chocolate in the supermarket. I've yet to see <coughs> a decent one. I mean, you can make your own with cocoa powder <laughs> or cacao. Like you don't have to go full blown hot chocolate and you can get some nicer organic Um, cocoa powders or cacao powders and so you can do the same thing with that the reason I like hot chocolate with actual chocolate is that you get a much richer flavor and taste and it's very satisfying you don't need a lot so yeah supermarket brands actually I don't know of any really good ones that you can get in the supermarket you'll basically have to buy online or look at chocolatiers who have I've been doing a lot of research on hot chocolate recently it's been tough Um, so there are some really (laughs) nice brands around unfortunately not so much in supermarkets they tend to be more sugary and while we were saying earlier that you don't necessarily Really want to be looking at good and bad foods actually if you're having something which is just sugar you're not really getting quite the same benefit from something which is really rich and satisfying and has a really luxurious taste so if that was the case i'd say get yourself some nice organic either cacao powder or cocoa powder and make yourself a hot cocoa instead nice i love that oh just just want to go out now just buy, <laughs> just buy a pile of fabulous chocolates <laughs> well right that's the home. thing it's like so if you're not um if you can't find hot chocolate just buy really nice chocolate and melt it down in a cup and make your own i mean i put a little bit of cocoa powder in with mine to make it a bit thicker but yeah buy yourself some really nice hot chocolate chop it up put a little splash of hot water on it to melt it first and then put it in a pan with some hot milk and heat it up or you can do it in the microwave too, but it's nicer done on a little pan. So just chop up a hot chocolate and make your own hot chocolate with really nice chocolate. So that's the other way around oh my god so you're literally talking about a melted cup of chocolate i mean yeah which is kind of essentially what's in my hot chocolate it's like my hot chocolate mix is 90 percent chocolate with a little bit of cacao powder a little bit of coconut sugar and a tiny bit of sea salt so yeah but it's mostly chocolate it's great oh my god everybody around your house seriously (laughs) well i know i'm thinking i should do some chocolate hot chocolate taste testings for my new flavors i'm developing so maybe i should organize that and do yes okay well (laughs) volunteers i think
0: (laughs) yeah well everybody follow me on instagram and follow (laughs) meredith on instagram so you'll be the first to know whenever that happens because that sounds amazing like my god i'm so excited this is just making me so happy this conversation (laughs) i'm feeling
1: happy talking about it
0: (laughs) love it so as we were saying if people do want to follow you on instagram if people do want to buy your beautiful product range or indeed attend one of your workshops where can they find
1: you where should they go so they can find me. My website is foodatheart.co.uk and I have a monthly hot chocolate meditation and then I'm peppering it in with a chocolate tasting uh, style meditation as well. So I run those in Angel in London normally. Um, and you know, if you have a business that wants a different event, just give me a call. I do actually do a lot of uh, corporate sessions as well. But yeah, if you want to come along to any of my sessions, they'll, I'll always have my latest events. Um, and I do, like I'm, I'm going to be at different festivals and things over the summer as well. So I'll always have those on my site. So just have a look on my, events page on my website and you can find me on instagram at meredith underscore food at heart so meredith is m-e-r-e-d-i-t-h it's a bit of a mouthful you know my background is marketing i should have a much more slick username but you know <laughs> i've kind of got attached to it now so do you meredith, know what i think i found you on
0: instagram literally i think i wrote something like meredith chocolate and it was- <laughs>
1: I'll say that so I just put Meredith chocolate in. (laughs) I like that.
0: I'm going to obviously share your handle on my show notes, but it's pretty hilarious that actually I literally just searched (laughs) Meredith chocolate and it came up when I first heard about you. So there we go. Amazing. Fine. Easy. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for this conversation. It has been fabulous. I'm so glad that we were able to cover so many different topics and also... Just thank you for coming on and talking to me about chocolate and mindfulness because as I said at the beginning, literally two of my most favorite things. This has
1: been a joy. Thank you so much, Meredith. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode, guys. As usual, all the show notes can be found at my website, breathelikeabadass.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget that Meredith has very kindly given us a free copy of her mindful tasting card with a whole heap of advice on how to mindfully taste chocolate. If you go to my website at breathelikeabadass.com forward slash chocolate, you can get your hands on a free copy of that mindful tasting card and have a very chocolatey day wherever you are. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You are a rock star. I would love to hear what you thought about this episode. Come and join the conversation over at Breathe Like a Badass on Instagram. Let me know that you've left a review for the podcast. Let me know that you've listened. Let me know your big takeaways or anything that really stood out to you or made sense. I appreciate every single one of you. And it is amazing that you've taken precious time out of your day to listen to this. So I would just absolutely love to see you there and just say thanks to you over DM, or over email. Thank you so, so much. Another way for me to say thank you is through my free quiz, which asks you the question, what's really keeping you stuck and how can you break free? If you head on over to breathelikeabadass.com forward slash quiz, that will give you access to your personalized results and it will also allow me to send you your free three-day course on exactly how to take super small but super effective steps towards the calm, clarity, self belief, and let's be honest, courage that you need to build a fulfilled life that truly feels good. That's what I'm here for. That's my mission. That's why I do what I do. And that is what this podcast is here for. So thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I cannot wait to see you back here next week.